Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. I'm excited to have Grant Carson, VP of Digital Experience at Travis Credit Union, on the Banking Transform podcast today. Grant oversees the member-facing digital channels at Travis Credit Union, one of the largest credit unions in California with nearly $5 billion in assets and more than 245,000 members. Grant shares insights into how Travis Credit Union leverages modern technologies to deepen member relationships through personalized experiences, earning the credit union industry awards for excellence. We also discuss how a community-based credit union can compete successfully in a crowded market filled with major banks and new fintech entrants. It's clear that financial institutions of all sizes must become truly customer-centric to compete in a very crowded marketplace. Travis Credit Union provides a model case study for using data-driven personalization, fintech integrations, and member journey enhancements to stand out. So Grant, you have a pretty impressive resume, you know, working at some of the largest banks, some very successful credit unions, and even a fintech firm. Can you share the key aspects of your personal journey and what led you to Travis Credit Union? You know, why are you there? Yeah, absolutely, Jim. Thanks so much. I'm thrilled to be here and, and chatting with you today. Um, really looking forward to the conversation. And first, w- with my background, you know, as you mentioned, I, I really started out with Wells Fargo and learning the ins and outs of how the banking atmosphere works at their retail locations in the branches. And back in the early 2000s, it was a challenging environment. And they kind of put you through the ringer to, to really learn how to manage teams and how to understand what lending means. And at that time, I learned also a lot about the challenges consumers were having with their own personal finances and how credit was just unknown and financial literacy was not a big topic and needed to be for many um, people. And when I left Wells right before the big time of 2008 um, and the market change, right? I had met someone who was starting to found a company. This was a fintech based on helping the average American get personal and financial guidance that they didn't think they could afford access to. And to me, that really resonated with how I had a passion for technology and what I had saw at Wells in those days. And so we grew this company called Hello Wallet over the years and really helped a whole lot of people manage their money and get unbiased insights and guidance to that. And then that kind of propelled me through the rest of my career of financial technology with Morningstar and seeing how they worked with many of the plan providers and deployed their technology and wanted us to come on board as an innovative fintech when they acquired us. And then going to KeyBank and how KeyBank wanted to solidify financial wellness in their branch locations and make it their differentiator, not just, hey, we've got a whole lot of products for you. And then finally coming to the credit union space and seeing, okay, this is the one area I really hadn't had experience in with technology. And I feel like I've really found a great home in the credit union industry here, especially now with Travis with all the energy that's surrounding the team and um, what we've already been able to do here in just the two short years that I've been here. So it's interesting. Travis Credit Union has quite a history. Could you share a little bit about Travis Credit Union's history and also, and you, you kind of touched upon it, how it's changed over the last few years with management changes and things like that and how it informs the mission you're going on today? 
Yeah, absolutely. So Travis Credit Union was founded in 1951 here locally in Vacaville, California, with the goal of really supporting military personnel at the Travis Air Force Base. Our headquarters now is still only just about 10 minute drive from that Air Force Base, but we've obviously expanded in that time to 22 branches and nearly a quarter of a million members and really have driven our commitment to the community continuously over the years and deep. And it's those relationships that have really grown the credit union for a long time now over the decades. But uh, two years ago, the leadership team took the recognition on that they really needed to evolve the digital experiences and practice here at Travis. That's where they um, connected with me and I came on board to start helping that. And um, we've had quite a few challenges along the way. Obviously, you, you touched on that, you know, we, we've had changes in um, our leadership where our former CEO, who was great, retired, and we have a whole new mindset here now. So from when I first started to when I am here now, but it's really, really been an amazing change. And we have a tremendous leadership team that is super energized by what we're um, on the path to do, especially with our side of technology. So as I mentioned in our, some of our pre-call, I spent three years in California, out from Ohio, where my home base is pretty much, and before and after that. But it's interesting because the financial landscape in California is extraordinarily competitive. You not only have the huge banks that all have a presence out there, but you also have a number of smaller community-based credit unions and community banks that really are always fighting each other. And you, in many cases, depends on where you are in the California marketplace, a very digitally astute customer base. So how does Travis Credit Union differentiate its services from all the competition around you? Great question. Actually, I was going to ask you about that from the Midwest. I'm originally from Indiana, Jim, so it's it's great to always have that connection chatting with good folks from the Midwest. Um, so I think this is a, it's a great question for credit unions across the board. Obviously, California, as you mentioned, being you know the center of innovation, and some folks will say where technology and fintech technology really got its start, you know, um, thirty plus years ago. So you have all of this talent here in competitive side. You've got the big banks like the Wells that was founded here, and B of A and Chase that have major um, sides, but. What I found with credit unions in this space is that the question, even even in, in, in the other banks um, that are you know not in the top ten, how do we compete with those top five banks that spend billions in technology? Not to mention the fintechs that are pushing the envelope on innovation themselves and taking our customers away. Now, this is even more worrisome for the credit union space because our margins are much smaller and our budgets are much smaller than those banks too. But I'm from the side of we don't need to have billions of dollars in budget to be able to give just as good of digital experiences to our members. We just have to go about it in a different way. The build versus buy decision is a huge question for us in the credit union space, but it's more so on how are we partnering with the right vendors to bring in the right technology and experiences that we can provide um, to our members because their expectations are through the roof now with what they interact with on a daily basis in those. So we're, there's a variety of ways that we're trying to do that. 
So you talked about the third-party collaborations, and it's so important because, you know, we talk about it quite a bit on this show, is that smaller financial institutions, more than ever, have the ability to punch way above their weight with the collaborations they can have because they can work fast. They can, in many cases, build a com- composable solution that really is for a specific purpose. How do you select a collaboration with a th- either a fintech or a third-party solution provider. What is important for you to look for in those collaborations? To me, that's part of the secret sauce of what we started to put together here at Travis. I think that selection process can make you very successful with the partnership, or it can be very troublesome for you for a number of years if selecting the wrong one. So what we've done is we've put together a very thoughtful process of steps for how we evaluate technology partners up front. So I think of it in two different halves. The first half of how are we evaluating end-to-end with the um, providers that are out there in the industry and taking that list down to our top two to three and then really going through the main steps with them in the evaluation to know we're getting the right provider. To me, the difference in questions that we ask, when you get down to it, and you have identified your top providers, maybe a lot of their technology might be similar. But to me, what I found the differentiators are is how well do they know what good design practice is to be able to fit in our environment because that then influenced the user experience for our members because we're relying on them to control that. And then the second is how well are they um, practiced with what they want to do with account management to help us as their partner ongoing. There are many providers out there that say, we'll give you a call every month and see how things are going. But there are only certain ones that actually know how to provide that kind of help to you in an ongoing fashion so that you will continue to see the value in their product as you go. So those things really separate out some of these firms when we're doing the evaluation step. And then implementation. Do we have a strong team of all of the steps and the rally cry internally to have everybody on board with our top priority of we are implementing this, here's our focus, Every we all have our strategic stakeholders in line for that, we've already evaluated the firm and know what their practice is for that implementation, are we all walking down the same path for this? So this, this big half of evaluation and the second of implementation is a huge focus for us. We did this when we recently, um, over the last year, selected and implemented a new digital banking platform. We're going through it right now, the same practice with another area that we're looking at as well for changing on the digital side. You know, it's interesting. I, I bring a lot of analogies into the sports world, but it's very much like like a U.S. football team where you, you have to find the plug-and-play solutions that give you the talent you need to run with you, to play in the same mindset you have that can rally as a team and can make a better impact than if you just added these components separately. And and you need, you know, I talk about fintech and third-party providers. You need somebody who's going to be able to run down the field without you having to be there because there's only so much you can do. You know, you, you in all your locations, you've been in charge of digital experiences. And that that really is a, a very important role today where we have to go even beyond experiences to actually make it so that there's greater levels of engagement, where actually there's interactions going back and forth because everybody expects the experience to be good. It's the engagement. It's the ongoing growth of the relationship that becomes so important. So how do you determine what technologies 
will have the most impact on your member experience and engagement? And what factors and metrics do you use to measure success? Absolutely. We, we look at these from the experience. Actually, this is something that was kind of, it's ingrained in me from my, my experience of what I've had in my pre- previous positions. Because when you're building technology from scratch, the design and UX component along with UI are so integral into making a successful product. You can build a technology, but it doesn't mean people are going to adopt it and engage with it. So how are you having ensuring those is the question that we are always asking um, our vendors. And that's why I really harp on the design component with them to know how are you iterating over time? Because we want that impact with our members. How, we're really looking at how can our the high level of customer service and relationships we have in the branch network be extended into the digital channel, and it can only be done with those great experiences. So we really look at adoption, engagement, and operations. Those are the three main categories of metrics we try to go through for those platforms to see how well they're operating and being engaged with our client base. Um, a, a great one, for instance, that we've seen lately is uh, credit score was a feature that our members hadn't had before, along with some other financial wellness features. They had it in a certain state with our last platform, but not to the extent that we have now. And we've already seen in two months, 5x the number of adopted our new platform of credit score and financial wellness than had in many years of our previous one. And so to us, that's a huge win. We are doing what our members told us in our research that we were missing and that they had needs for, and they're adopting the product first. But then the second is going to be, how's the impact coming along with the engagement over time? So given that, you know, I've I've met with credit unions and community banks and, and big financial institutions over the last few years. And there's there's not always a situation where they bring on technology, bring on solutions, and then they actually market it or deploy it. You know, they assume if you build it, they will come. And that's not always the case. How does Travis put the, the solutions you have into the marketplace so that your members actually know you have something new? So with this, what I've tried to do over the number of years, I found the absolute importance and value in having digital and your marketing team so aligned. From a digital aspect and technology, we have our roadmaps. Right? We, we live and die by those. That's what we show and go with um, our, our leadership. And we evaluate together and say, how, is the, how are these priorities? Um, and what's our anticipated launch dates for everything? But to your point, Jim, if our members don't know that we're rolling those out, we can't expect them just to hopefully stumble over them one day when they log in. So we align those roadmaps and timelines with our marketing team for the engagement campaigns that they want to do with our member base. So there should be a nice transition of, okay, we've launched, we've seen a number of people, this um, impact or feedback and response from people that have just found it so far. That gives us time to tweak our marketing message as well. So then once we put that out to the greater masses, we hope and know that it's actually going to ring true with them to engage with it. And so I think something that, that one more thing with that that can be missed is continuous engagement campaigns with your, about your digital products from your marketing team is essential. You know, it, it, they can't just continue to pump out product. You know, this is what our new product is. You want to acquire or something. It, 
this is something that services you and will help you as an additional engagement method for our members. You know, it's interesting because we forget about that. And as a result, you know, I'm finding that more and more financial institutions are not really doing a good job of measuring attrition. Many are using the legacy way of saying, how many accounts do I have? How many accounts have I lost? And against the entire portfolio, well, the reality is we have a lot of silent attrition going on where a customer that a member doesn't actually leave. They simply distribute their relationship across a number of financial institutions. And to your point, which you just brought up, that's where engagement becomes so important. And if you don't continually offer something that's as good or better than what the marketplace offers around them, you will lose that member. In bits and pieces, you know, the the death by thousand bites without even knowing it because they aren't going to close a relationship. I mean, I I do research with my groups that I uh, speak to quite a bit. I say, how many of you have closed a major financial relationship in the last five years? Nobody raised their hand. And then they ask, how many of you have opened a brand new financial relationship in the last two years? And everybody raised their hand. I I tell people, now look around the room. This is what's happening with your customers because these are bankers. These are people that actually work at financial institutions, that there's even more of a reason not to use other financial services, but everybody's the same. Everybody's looking for this. You know, one of the things that serves your purpose that you've been bringing up is your use of the Salesforce Financial Services Cloud. How do you use that technology, that capability to support your strategy to personalize experiences and to help a person, help a member across the entire journey? Salesforce is a tremendous product. Um, You can get so much value out of Salesforce, and it's a tremendous company. But to to your point, uh, it can be a difficult one to chip away at for many organizations because not everyone has a Salesforce certified developer on their team to help build out all the intricacies for it. But I think from the beginning, two real big things that have happened here at Travis to really set us on the right path with this is one – Everyone across the board, regardless of changes that we've had, is in agreement that Salesforce and the cloud services that we have with it are going to be our way forward in certain aspects. And we're invested in Salesforce as a product. So making sure there's no question there of switching or anything like that. And then the second is around what is our our strategy going to be with this so that we can build to that with the levels of personalization that you're talking about. So this year, uh, coming year, actually, we are going to be diving deep into this. Um, We're already this month rolling out our first steps in personalization. We're looking at this in two different areas. Um, Personalization for non-members or just folks that come to our website and personalization for our members that are interacting with us in our spaces like our digital banking. And so what our members are going to start seeing in the coming year, plus with this, are more of these from anything from, hey, you are looking at more content and a certain aspect from our website. We want to make sure that's presented up front to you when you're coming back to insights around how their trends are with their spending and helping them guide what their financial wellness and personal financial goals can be rather than just giving them you know, generic messaging of just setting their own goals. Sure, everyone wants to do that, but we actually need to make it a little more personalized than that with the insights we provide them to help direct them in that way. So we're just 
it's a big step for us in the coming year plus that we're dipping our toe into right now. And um, Salesforce and the financial cloud is a huge part of building onto that. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. We talked about it before we got on the phone because I want to make sure. Oh, by the way, I had seen that you had you, you had signed up for or part of the Salesforce Financial Cloud, and but I hear that from a lot of institutions. And the big difference between some and others is almost every institution of five billion or above has Salesforce that they've purchased. Very few, from a percentage basis, actually have done much with it. I mean, it, it's scary because it it sits on the shelf in a in an old school kind of way. But it, it's interesting because it's as you said, it's not easy to maneuver. It's not simple by intuitive design. And Salesforce has created great services, but a lot of times they are are challenged to to help an organization your size with that final mile, the actual implementation and deployment for the benefit of the members. And and it's interesting that you do this. When you look at technology and when you look at advancements that you just discussed, how do you keep an eye on the speed of transformation? Because, you know, you, you come from a legacy banking environment, as I do, where planning used to be an annual process. Well, the reality is deployment now almost has to be a quarterly engagement or or faster. How do you keep that moving and how do you take care of being able to implement things quickly? I think the challenge of pace with technology is a huge question for anyone in my role. You feel it from the aspect of all of the outside factors that come in, right? Everyone talks about chat GPT and how one day it didn't exist and then the next day it's everywhere and people are using it in all types of instances and still exploring that, right? But when you're in this role, it's how do I keep up with that pace and ensure my, I always ask myself, ensure that the partners that we bring on for our technology and having these experiences deployed, how can we keep up with that pace? But in addition to that, how do I make sure that our leadership across the board also has that understanding that we're going with these technologies to be able to keep up with this pace. And that, you know, like, uh, like folks say, like digital transformation isn't just you start this day and end this day. There's no endpoint. So it's always an evolution of things. And so for, for us, we started this in a big way with looking at our, our digital banking and it, like, how are the modern architectures work? How can you plug and play? And, uh, you know, a lot of folks talk around the open banking concept and everything that's coming up there, right? And people are starting to do that more. How do you have the right partner as a base and foundation where you can look at these other beneficial connections, um, such as, like I said, the, the credit score like that we provide to our members that you can plug into that doesn't take iterations of a whole year to roll out with. Um, we, we've started where, uh, you know, with our partner now on that platform, we, they, we do weekly releases and we have the ability to implement new feature sets so much more because of the, of the microservice architecture that they're built on. 
That's actually a mindset. As you said, it's a cultural thing that you go, none of us can move that fast. And you brought up that finding the right partners is the only way to keep pace with what's happening because, you know, it used to be that we had to wait for our core providers to do that. And core providers provide a great array of services. However, when you're looking at specific needs, when you're looking at a specific mission that you have to achieve, maybe it's digital account opening or a faster loan process or something like that, they may not be the perfect partner for most smaller institutions. And that's where these composable solutions become so helpful in that, you know, as I said, you, you worked at Big Bank, a lot of your team, your management team has as well, that you can move so fast where at the old institution you all worked for, you had layers upon layers of things you had to go through. This is kind of fun. It's a, it's a fun little sandbox. It truly is. I, I'm constantly energized and here and, you know, looking at our, our roadmap and being able to speak to that with our team and talk through, hey, guys, look at all the different things that we can do. And coming in here, right, you talk about challenges and all of that. Well, it's truly those are opportunities here of what we can build for our members in that experience that they have had expectations around for a long time and are now really seeing it, right? We, we saw in the research that we did, our members were telling us, I really, really love Travis Credit Union and I'm devoted to it, but I would really love if you guys caught up a little bit more with technology. I'm sure because of the outside factors they see on a daily basis. So how do we keep that trend going to your point with when they see new things or new technology that's being developed come out that allows us to service them continuously better and meet them where they are, whether they're in the branch or they're on their phone with things that we roll out. So can you discuss a specific challenge that TCU may have faced recently and how technology helps you actually overcome it? Sure. Um, wow. We have um, faced quite, quite a bit of those since I've come on board. Um, there, there's different aspects to the challenges. Kind of like what I said, you, it's summer challenges. A lot of them we're trying to look at opportunities, right? And the technologies that we're implementing now, whether it's we're, you know, we're focused on digital banking or we're looking at our digital account opening experience. And we want to ensure that it's easy for our members and seamless to acquire or um, onboard with any product that they're looking for, for that or our lending products and have those. So we're really trying to uh, phase those in the way that our members are going to find a more detailed experience and seamless for themselves with our partners that we're choosing there. I think an interesting challenge that was coming to mind in, in discussion before the, the call today that wasn't so much more of a technology one, but that really hit us hard early with some of this was the economic conditions over the last two years and how inflation has just been through the roof. You, you hear everywhere that it impacts that. Well, it's also impacting our changes as far as upgrading technology and bringing new partners on. There's a cost related to that. And then how is inflation also hitting that and making us look at new things or new ways of thinking about it um, with these partners before we implement it? Because, I mean, uh, from their aspect, costs have gone up as well. So it's a, it's a unique thing that I, I didn't anticipate, you know, from the technology side of a challenge, but we're seeing it. You know, it's interesting because a lot of financial institutions now – are looking for those things that can have a, a great financial impact quickly. 
because you want to be able to develop a very quick ROI against the investment. So you you mentioned uh, digital account opening. You know, that's one where we see organizations, whether they know it or not, if you have a slow process, you may be losing as much as 60% of the customers that would like to work with you because the technology is slow. And what happens is, as a human, if yours is slow, then I go on to the next financial institution. And, and that may not be any faster. And you go, okay, now, do I want to go to the next step and try to find one? Or is this just something that happens with banking? Either way, they're not going to come back to you and say, okay, I'm going to try you back again. So, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of financial institutions are saying, that's what I need because I can get a number of accounts based on that. Or as you mentioned, their Salesforce investment. Geez, if I can build a broader array of relationships, I can have more organic growth. That helps pay for the investment I'm making. You know, and thirdly, and and it's so important and it and it's a it's a legacy leadership issue is how do you make sure that what you buy and what you implement are close? So in other words, a, a solution provider may come in and say, we can move your digital account opening process to three minutes. And they come in and you want to do it. They want to do it for you. But all of a sudden you're saying, geez, I don't know if I'm really comfortable with, let's say, the, the having to use the, the driver's license as a, as a know your customer component. But that tremendously slows down the process. How do you work with that internally to make it so that you don't get in the way of progress as an organization when you have a solution that you want to adopt. I think a key point to having when you a, a product, if we even talk about like something like a digital account opening, where someone has to go through a number of steps, and you mentioned you know how long it takes on these, that as an uh, organization you can evaluate the main things such as how long and what are the steps of attribution or fall off throughout that experience, right? And if we can look at that, for instance, we looked at ours lately and saw a step in there that we had 10% drop off for some uh, a user experience that could easily be modified that we hadn't caught before. And 10% is a significant fall, especially when you're far in the funnel. And so making that tweak is exponentially impactful for us as an organization and an ROI for that product. So really having the proper data points as we go in helps us get ourselves out of the way of opinions and um, emotions, if you will, that come into the conversation all too often when people are, are looking, like you're saying, at those trends of, well, I just, that doesn't look right. Well, do the numbers say that it's effective though, and that people are actually using it? That a consumer of one or a consumer of many that we're looking for these numbers for and outputs, and that really helps us. Well, it's it's really focusing on the true member experience. It's focusing on the ROI and and metrics. You know, looking at it around the way, and then saying, okay. As an organization, we got to do more than just talk a good talk. We got to walk that walk. And so there's some people that's going to have to eat their pride, maybe reevaluate what they do for Travis in the back office. Because, you know, if the back office is, you know, in some way in the legacy mode, it's real hard to make digital work. It, it, we may do it, but it's not going to be real smooth. So, you know, when you look at the credit union space and the way it differentiates itself, even the community banking space, one of the ways it does that is the human connection, the ability to really show a human emotion to every interaction. Well, those interactions in the branches have obviously gone down and, and maybe the phone elements have gone up a little bit. But overall, 
How do you look at technology and balancing the adoption of new technology with the need for that human connection? I love this topic. I have uh, something like just ingrained in my mind from years ago when I was at KeyBank. I was sitting in a meeting with Beth Mooney at the time, who was the former CEO there. Norwell, yes. Our whole team does, in fact. Yeah. I, I figured you do. I figured you do. And, you know, I'll never forget when she told me, she said, you know, Grant, one thing that we found with our technology and changes is that trust is very difficult to build with consumers on technology alone. And I, I couldn't, she couldn't be more right. And to me, that, that has always stuck with me where, with how I go about building or designing or implementing technology since. And in the credit union space, I feel that we have this very unique opportunity where credit unions so pride themselves on the relationship they have with their members and the local communities that they serve. And the members will speak it from the mountaintop. How do we take that into our digital space to extend and provide that kind of service to our members to just say, hey, this digital is just an extension of what you're getting in the branch. We want you still to interact with our team in the branch network because that's where you have a great relationship. But we also want to meet you where convenience can be done, whether it's at home or you're on the go with your phone to have that. And um, I, I th our branch network and our team there, I th they're all on board and understand that as well because they know that our members need that level of service and simplicity or ease, if you will, in their day-to-day in addition to those relationships. So I think really continuing to focus on how we are bridging that gap of bringing that trust and level of service into the digital extension is great here. You know, it, you brought up a great point because it, what Beth said was true. I mean, we have this high level of trust, but it can be broken if you keep on under-delivering on that value transfer. So in other words, as a consumer, we used to we used to drive the customer expectations. So whatever we did, they bought. Well, that's changed quite a bit because of Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Uber. All those experiences say, gosh, can't you do better? And I, and I know I go in my financial institution quite often and go, I go, really? You know, think about what you're saying here about wh why you're doing what you're doing. And, you know, I, TD Bank up in the Northeast, they took over a uh, organization way back in the day that was known for their community involvement. They'd have pens, they'd have dog biscuits, all this. And it was all part of that overall experience. But it was interesting because when TD Bank took over this financial institution, my question to them was, okay, so you're going to build a better digital banking experience. How do you replicate the dog biscuit? You know, how do you how do you make it so that you have that feeling, that that emotion level, but also where you keep on building those experiences? And you're right. We have more potential now than ever before with digital data and all these other things to build that better experience, to build engagement. We can't let that go because that trust then wanes. And, you know, I, I know in my own financial institution situation for my business bank, my trust is probably more with PayPal than it is with the financial institution I work with where my money lies because they're always looking out for my benefit. They're, they have an empathy for me. I know on my personal level, sometimes it's the same way where I go, you know, why aren't you my partner here? I, I mentioned before a call that, uh, you know, I had a, a mortgage that um, they never moved the rate when the rates moved. They just didn't follow it down. And when I finally decided I'd, I needed to refinance, I did with another financial institution. All of a sudden, my old financial institution said, you know, why didn't you come to us? I said, because you had 
eight years for me to stay with you. But you never took that that level of you, you said you loved me, but you didn't show me you loved me, which is a, a tough deal. So as we're looking at the future, Travis Credit Union, you guys are doing a lot of amazing things and you certainly are punching above your weight. What are some opportunities you see in the near future that you're going to implement that are going to make Travis Credit Union even better? We're on this track right now where we have to always have the next thing ready up and lined up to go. We can't do this where, where we're, we're looking and saying, okay, we, we did a successful implementation and rollout of this new digital platform for um, online banking. Let's talk about what's next. We need to have that lined up and ready to go months and months prior to that. Now, things shift and you know we try to be say, agile with our movements of where things shift. But what we're really trying to do is put those pieces together ahead of time so that we already know where we're moving to make the biggest impact for our members. And as we go to improve our digital channels, whether it be the lending side here coming up and the, the digital account opening side and have all these experiences improve, we need to be cognizant of the things that you just mentioned of we have this data how can we build on that with more personalized experiences to bring in that trust? You know, it's on us to go to our members and not for them to come to us, right? The, the bank that you were with and they said, why didn't you come to us? Well, it's, it wasn't your responsibility, I think, right? That should be theirs to go to you, right? <laughs> for that. Exactly. That's, that's old school thinking that when I want to make a decision, you know, I'll come to you and tell you what I want. Jeez, you know, you got you guys got a whole lot more competition than simply the doors of the banks on the street. You know, there's a lot of digital options out there. It is. Don't make it hard for me. That's what I when I use technology just in my day to day. That's what I'm always looking for. How hard or difficult is it that these folks I always say that seamless and intuitive design is invisible. You don't notice it because it flows through and you're able to accomplish that easily. But bad design jumps out at you so quickly. And that's what we need to make sure that with all of these experiences that we're uh, rolling out, we're having that for our members on the service side. So Grant's final question. You've spent a few years now at, at Travis. You, you've done a lot of things. The organizations move forward tremendously. If you're talking to a community bank or a financial institution of any size and you give them one piece of advice from what you've learned, what is it? I think the, the biggest thing that I've found that's really helpful is really two things. Really build those relationships early and often with your leadership team and your peers so that they understand what the vision is that you're trying to put together on the digital front. I mean, if I did not have the tremendous support from Kevin, our executive team, our board, and relationships with my peers um, and team, we, we couldn't do what, what we've done and what we're continuing to do. So I think building those relationships is that, that first thing and having that understanding. And part of that understanding for the second part comes from being able to communicate that. I call this my roadshow where I have just like my certain slides that are like, here's what digital does. If you're unfamiliar with this, here's what we're trying to grow towards and what our vision is and our goals for our members that obviously align with our goals as an institution and also with what our members are looking for from technology and making sure that's understood across the board. So having that buy-in in those relationships has been tremendously impactful and helpful. 
Boy, that's interesting. You've just said something that in a better way than I've ever said it, which is great member experiences start with internal partnerships. That I mean, we we talk about it often that it's really like it's, it's leadership that's got to be in charge. But you said better than I've ever said, which is the partnership with your members to make that work. You have to have partnerships with your internal teams because if the back office is broken. You, you can't make this look any better. It, it, it gets broken one way or the other. Grant, thank you so much for being on the show. So enlightening, so much fun, because it really does show that organizations of all sizes can do great things, and to, they have some of the best ideas to implement, no matter how big you are. So, Grant, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jim, for allowing me the time to share of what we're doing at Travis. Take care. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to show some love in the form of a review. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research we're doing on the Digital Banker Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hassage, audio engineer, Chris Fafalius, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Maroos. Until next time, remember, advanced technology is important but it takes visionary leadership to deploy solutions that can really improve experiences. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.